Fantastic. Thank you, Jago. Uh, why don't you find a Bible that's on the end of your row? It's very exciting. We have Bibles now. Hopefully, I'll, one day I'll be able to preach from just the Bible. I'll be a real preacher then. So now we open the Word of God. In this, we find not just God's words, but this is God's words to us. And we're going to read together from John 4. It's page um, 1067. It's towards the back. And um, this is the part two of John 4. Vicky spoke last week. If you haven't had a chance to hear that, if you weren't here or you haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast, can I encourage you to do so? But we're following that up. Last week we heard Vicky talk about um, and go through the story of a woman at the well, a woman who meets Jesus, a Samaritan woman whose life is totally changed. And she goes on to tell others. And we pick up that story right now. So page 1067 at the bottom of the first column at verse 27. And God, I just pray as we read your word now that you speak to us and speak through me. Amen. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the women's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Open your eyes, says Jesus, and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. These are the words of Jesus to his apprentices, his disciples, the ones who know him best. Open your eyes, he says. Look at the fields. He means this, can you see that now is the time for a spiritual harvest? Now is the time for many to hear and receive the good news about me. It's a spiritual harvest, so now it's time for people to be brought in to the storehouses of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God. Open your eyes, because now is the time for people to be born again, for people to drink of living water, for people to know me. And just as his disciples needed to hear that, so do we. And let's diagnose it. Let's ask why. There's four examples in the Gospel of John by the time we get to this point of people who totally misunderstand what Jesus is saying. John 2, John 3, and John 4. The first is this. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the Jews in John 2. And he says, if you destroy this temple, I will rebuild it in three days. 
And the Jews say, it took 46 years to build this temple. How can you raise it again in three days? They don't understand what he's saying. In John 3, Nicodemus, a learned man, is talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And the man says, what? Basically, what? How can a man be born again when he's old? How can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? He didn't understand. We read the, uh, the third one last week. Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman. And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd have asked me for a drink because I have living water. And she says, but sir, the well's deep and you don't have anything to draw it with. She doesn't understand. The example in our passage today, the disciples asked Jesus, like concerned parents, Rabbi, eat something. And he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they say, could someone have brought him food? They have no idea. Jesus says, I've got a purpose, I've got a plan. And they're like, did someone get him a sandwich? Jesus, my will, my work is to do the work of my father. Jesus, did you go to Pret on the way here? Because we're not sure. What these four examples show us, as Jesus talks, is that actually in our natural state, uh, humans, we can't perceive the things of God. We're blind to it. This is why uh, Jesus must say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So this means God himself, the Holy Spirit, helps us perceive spiritual realities. Okay, so this means God helps us perceive who he is, what Jesus has done, our need for him. But the truth of the gospel is that God opens our eyes. Think of that hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. God opens the eyes of the blind. He gives sight to the blind to see our need for him and his great and glorious salvation. But in our passage today, we see that God, the one who gives sight to the blind, must still tell his disciples to open their eyes. Even though uh, God gives miraculously sight again, he still needs to say, open your eyes. Do you know it's possible to live as a Christian and to have had your eyes open but still be unaware of spiritual realities? Do you know that this is also possible in the natural? My dad will tell you, he's convinced, that his eyesight is 20-20. And then every now and then, when he's squinting and he's got a headache in the dark because he's trying to read, my mum will say, Darling, just put on some reading glasses. And he suddenly goes, oh my goodness. And I heard this and I thought, well, that's clearly not me. I've got great eyesight. But unfortunately, I was at home recently, the last two weeks. And um, mum said, uh, when was the last time you had your eyes tested? And I thought about it and I realised that the last time I had my eyes tested was the last time mum had asked that question. So I said, okay, sure. She said, I'd love to book you an eye test. And I said, would you? So she did. So I went along and I was like, man, my eyes are perfect. I don't need this. I'm going to, you know, go along. So we did my right eye and I was like, yeah, you're just making it worse. They put the lens in front. You're like, no, no. What are you doing? You know, are you trained for this? No, I didn't say that. Um, and I was like, no, this is fine. And then, then he does this thing where he had a cross. And he says, does the top line line up with the bottom line? And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm blind. They're like, one's over here. One's over here. I was like, oh, well, no, I'm going to have to wear an eye patch. They're going to call me the visionless vicar. No, thankfully that didn't happen. But what I suddenly became aware of, and he said, here's your prescription. He says, here's what wrong is wrong with your eyes. He said, you've got astigmatism, which means they're slightly out of shape. And in the same way, 
it is possible to be a Christian, to have had your eyes open and be unaware that actually you can't see everything that God has. Jesus needs to say to his disciples, open your eyes. And I wonder if God might need to say the same thing to us. There's so many things God could say that about. I'm so glad that as Mel prayed tonight, she just spoke truth about what God has done for us, about who we are in him. We need to open our eyes to his love for us, but specifically in this season of life, in this season of the church, especially as we think about Alpha and Tri-Church Sunday, we need our eyes opened again to the reality for the world's need for the saving grace of God. But see, in our passage, Jesus doesn't just say, open your eyes to the need of the nations. He doesn't just say, look to the brokenness. He says this, open your eyes and look at the fields, because they're ripe for harvest. So even as Jesus tells um, his disciples to become aware, open your eyes to reality, he's telling them not just look at the brokenness, he's saying, look, now is the time for a spiritual reaping. So it's a promise of power. It's full of hope. It's full of faith. It's full of potential for God to act. It's full of a promise. Now is the time for the spiritual harvest. People are to give their lives to me. And I'm sure we need to hear this. I know I do. Because this promise comes with some amazing things and we're going to see that together. Read with me. Verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. I love the eyewitness details here. Uh, The woman leaves behind her water jar. The very reason she came out in the first place. You know, she's found living water, so why does she need her water jar again? And then she runs to tell the people in the town everything that has happened to her and all that God has done. And the detail for us to pick up on here. Uh, as Vicky did, showed us last week, this is a seriously unlikely person to be used to share God. A word gets used for sharing faith, it's the word evangelism. And often when we think of evangelists, we maybe think of incredibly spiritually gifted rock stars, frankly. But this woman is seriously unlikely. Why is that? It's because she's a woman, which might be hard for us to perceive at this time. But in that day, if you're a woman, your testimony wasn't even considered worthy of being said in a court of law. It wouldn't stand for anything. Furthermore, if you're a woman, you might not have been educated in the same way. So here is possibly an uneducated, untrusted woman who comes and says to her town, but look, it's powerful. Okay, so hold that woman in mind. Now let's contrast that to Jesus. Let's contrast the unlikeliness of that woman to Jesus. Read with me verse 34. Jesus says this, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Remember, he says this because his disciples are like, have you had a sandwich, Jesus? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. What does this mean? Food is what we need to do work. Food is what gives us strength for work. We mere humans need sources of power from outside ourselves. But God gets his source of power from inside himself. From within himself. As a man, Jesus got hungry and tired and thirsty. That's why Jesus stopped at the well. He needed food like the rest of us. But as God, his power to act was to act. And so the reason Jesus says, I've got food that you know nothing about to do the will of him who sent me is because Jesus is saying, I'm God. I don't just give life. I am life. 
I am the source of living water. Later, Jesus will say, I am bread of life. He says, I don't just eat food. I am food. I don't get life. I give life. So the eternal, infallible son of God and the Samaritan woman. But what do we notice? Read with me, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Can you see, despite the unlikeliness of the woman, especially contrasted with Jesus, the Son of God, God uses both of them for many to believe. And this is the truth we need to grasp as we think about sharing faith, as we think about opening our eyes to spiritual reality. God uses unlikely people. God uses people whom the world might not consider to be the right people, who personally don't think they're the right people. In fact, one of the the challenges is if God would say to us, open your eyes, he might say to us, stop looking inwardly. And by this I mean, as we think about sharing faith, as we think about speaking about Jesus, witness, living our lives for him, suddenly this can bring us face to face with actually our inadequacy for that task. You know, it's only when you um, are face to face with something that you can't do in your own strength that suddenly you realize your need for God. And God, but God uses the unlikely. He uses the uneducated. He uses the unexpected. He uses people like his disciples. Did you notice the awkwardness of the beginning of the passage where it says the disciples return, they find him talking with a woman, and they kind of go, ooh, ooh Jesus uh, talking with a woman? Um, and there's two questions. What do you want? Why are you talking with her? What do you want is for the woman, but they don't ask it. Why are you talking with her? It's for Jesus, but they don't ask it. These guys, does this feel awkward to you? Does this feel like human? Like they've walked in on a situation they shouldn't be in? Like, oh my goodness. But they don't say anything. The awkward wonders these guys are. And like the, the, the scriptures are full of it, the gospels. But God uses awkward people as well. Do you ever feel like you don't know what to say? Me too. God uses the unlikely. He uses the unexpected to complete his purposes. And God doesn't need in life for faith, for discipleship, but especially for sharing Jesus. God doesn't need our ability, but he needs our availability. It is such a powerful thing when, as followers of Jesus, we say yes to his plans and purposes in our lives, and we say yes to being used by him no matter how unlikely we feel. Do you ever feel unlikely? Every now and then I'll have this very funny conversation with someone where I'll meet them and there'll be someone I knew from university and we'll share about what we're doing. And um, as I mentioned many times before, I'm working for a church, trained to be a vicar. And I'll share this with someone I knew, played hockey with, was on English with or something. And occasionally I'll get this. Really? You are, you're trained to be a vicar? Fascinating. <laughs> and um, yeah, if you contrast actually my time then, my time now, it could look pretty unlikely. And in fact, had you asked me, say, year two, nine years ago at university, do you think you'd ever be trained to be a vicar? I'd say, Absolutely not. But here's the thing you don't have to just be used by God if you're just going to go into all day ministry. But God uses the unlikely. God uses people who are awkward. God uses people who are considered to be social outcasts. He considered uh, people who consider themselves to be that. 
God uses the unlikely. Well, what does he use them for? Read with me again. Verse 36. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. Jesus says this, the joyful task of sharing me is like planting seeds and reaping a harvest. And this is God's economy. One sows and one reaps. Now, what are the seeds? Well, the seeds are the words of God. How do we know that? Well, we see it in this passage, and we see it testified to elsewhere in Scripture. In this passage, we see, verse 39, that many Samaritans believe because of the woman's testimony. What she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Her words. Secondly, verse 41. Why do many people believe because of what Jesus does? It says because of his many words. Because of his words, many more became believers. And this is affirmed elsewhere in Scripture. Do you remember that parable that Jesus tells in Luke 8? And he's talking about, um, a. it's called the parable of the sower. And he uses imagery of someone, a farmer, of seeds, and of soil. And he says, the seed is the word of God. The, soil is, uh, the farmer is the person giving it out, testifying. And the soil is like our hearts. And this is what God does. God uses unlikely people for this process of sharing his words. And this is how people receive faith. It says in scripture, faith comes from hearing. People hear the testimony about Jesus. Now, as we emphasize hearing, as we emphasize words, how do you respond? Because often our right response will be, as you think about sharing your faith and living a life that uh, shares God with other people, often we'll say people don't just need to hear about God, but they need to see his love demonstrated in tangible acts of mercy, justice, and kindness. Absolutely. In fact, that's a truth that we need to grasp more and more. In fact, we're so unaware of it sometimes in the West because around the world, the need that people have is staggering. I heard a testimony from a lady on Thursday evening who's speaking about a situation I was so vaguely aware of, Myanmar, there are uh, three quarters of a million refugees who've gone over the border into Bangladesh. Such need. And people need to see and receive the love of God. Absolutely. But what scripture also affirms is that they need to hear the testimony about Jesus Christ. They need to hear good news. And um, this can be testing for us, can't it? Because I think in this uh, time of life, in 2018, we live in a time when external truth has been uh, kind of devalued. And by what I, this I mean is that when it comes to the big questions of life, of purpose, of meaning, of truth, we say, or society says, find your own truth. What is true to you is true. Oprah, God bless that woman, says this, you need to find your own truth. You know, this is, you do you, 2018. You do you, boo. You know, if that's true for you, oh, good for you. You do you. And um, this idea, you do you, boo, that is antithetical. It is the opposite to the gospel. And we have to be careful that we don't, uh, as that is communicated to us in so many ways, we have to be careful that that isn't the value that we take on. Because this is what Jesus, this is who Jesus is. Let me show you why. Verse 42, read with me. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. 
Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Do you see that that claim is made about Jesus? He's not just a personal Lord and saviour. He's not just someone's truth. He's not just your truth. He's the saviour of the world. Can you see there's two types of truth going on here? There's like a subjective truth and an objective truth. Subjective truth, that's the what is true for you thing. But the claim about Christianity, the claim about Christ is this objective truth. Jesus is the saviour of the world. Everyone needs to hear that. And that's why Jesus will talk about sowing and reaping, the word of God, because it's, people need to hear about Jesus. And we need to, um, as we interrogate that possible belief we have around, you know, what is true for you. I mean, I see it all the time. I said to someone, I was at a pub last week, I met someone for the first time, we're talking about what we do, and um, I just sort of said, he said, oh, how did you get to do what you're doing? And I sort of shared my story, and at some point I said, and Jesus has changed my life. And he said, in a way that was kind, but was slightly patronizing, oh, good for you. And he meant it, and I don't, I don't distrust him, but he said, good for you, you know. And he said, I'm sure he has. But can you see the difference? The Christian claim isn't just that he's my savior or he's your savior. He was also the savior of the person that was listening to me, that kind man. Do you see the difference? There's an objective truth. And... Um, there's a second thing that we need to address here in our, that I sort of see in our culture as we think about this. It's that we are tempted to think that everyone really is all okay. Really, actually, if you sort of get under the surface, really we're good people. Or the other way to think about it is that, well, actually, you yeah, know, there are some bad people in society, but really, I'm okay. But the Christian claim is far bigger than that. The Christian claim isn't just somehow that we are okay, really we're all good people. It's actually that we're made in the image of God. We bear the hallmarks of divinity. And yet we've so fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so in fact Jesus will say, it's in the chapter before, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Let us not believe the lie that Jesus was all meek and mild. I mean, you saw the way he dealt with the woman at the well last week. He called out her past, but he didn't condemn her. But at the same time, there is this line for Jesus. Whoever accepts me has eternal life, but whoever rejects me already stands condemned. There's a, there's a thing that can happen when we contrast in Scripture, say, the writing of Paul and Jesus. You know, we can sort of contrast, well, Jesus is all inclusive and love. And yeah, he was inclusive of those whose society is rejected. But he's also firm in the truth that people needed to receive him. And so, and so, it is an objective truth that we need to tell people. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is not just a personal Lord and Saviour, but the Saviour of the world. And this is the thing. God will use the unlikely to do the unbelievable. God will use the unlikely to do the unbelievable. Because as we talk about God, as we share about him, God will speak to people. You might have experienced this yourself. Have you ever heard a sermon and you're like, wow, that could have been written just for me. Have you ever read, this, read a bit of scripture and you're like, this could have been written specifically for me. God speaks through us. 
You know, in Revelation 3, where it says, here I am, this is Jesus speaking. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person. If anyone hears my voice, he says. And guess what? People hear the voice of God through what we say. Isn't that unbelievable? This is why I love the imagery of a seed. A seed is so unassuming, it is so small. And yet, when we speak of God, it goes into someone's heart. You know a seed carries all the DNA needed for another plant to grow. The potential of, think of the potential of an acorn to grow to an oak tree. There is incredible power in what we say because God speaks through us. Have you heard, it's, it's like this, have you heard this before? There was once a mouse who crossed a bridge on the back of an elephant and the bridge shook like crazy. And the mouse said to the elephant at the end of it, boy, we sure shook that bridge together, didn't we? In the same way, in the same way, when we speak, God speaks. Seeds, words of truth. God uses the unlikely to do the unbelievable. Do you ever feel that way about your own? How do you feel about your own testimony? The word that gets used to share your story about God. Do you notice it is the testimony of the woman that leads people to encounter Jesus? She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they do. And they meet him and then they say, wow, this guy's the saviour of the world. Do you ever feel like, maybe especially if you've grown up in church or if you've been in Christian a long time, do you ever feel like your testimony might not be that powerful? I mean, I, I really relate to that. I was five years old when I gave my life to God. I've sort of known God for as far as I can remember. What do you notice about the woman's testimony? What do you notice about it? A woman says to people, this man revealed to me everything I've ever done. Can you imagine saying the same things to your friends? Maybe with the details of it? Actually, God revealed addictions in my life. God revealed brokenness. God revealed some relationships. that I shouldn't, Things I've done. God revealed my sin. Does that feel like it's powerful? The truth is, because when we speak, God speaks. That can be incredibly powerful. In fact, our subjective truth, the thing that we've experienced, testifies to the saviour of the world. And this is why God can use a woman who says, my life has totally changed. Could this be the Messiah? And God can use us to do the same thing. This is why. Because God's command to us to open our eyes is not just look at the brokenness of the world, become aware of everyone's need and your need. It's become aware to my power that is available for the salvation of many. Read with me, verse 35. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. And Jesus says this, there are natural processes. In the natural, there is four months from planting a seed till the harvest time. But God works with supernatural timing. Jesus collapses sowing and reaping into one and says, now is the time. Now is the time of salvation. And this is why he says to his disciples, open your eyes to this reality. Though in the natural, it may look like the harvest is months off. Now is the time for people to receive me. And the crop that is brought in is not just lives changed in the here and now, but eternal destiny is changed. A crop for eternal life is brought in. And the reason Jesus can say this to his disciples and the reason Jesus can say this to us is because of this. Verse 38. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. 
Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What does this mean? On the first hand, can you see that as Jesus, that is God, talking about sharing faith, talking about sowing seeds, he says it's hard work. Do you relate to that? Do you have people that you've talked to for years and years? Do you have colleagues that you've prayed for? Do you have flatmates that you've prayed for? Do you have siblings? Do you have parents? It can be hard work. And God acknowledges that. So hold that on one hand, the reality of that. But on the other hand, he says this, I've sent you to reap what you have not worked for. This is so powerful. What he's saying is, you enter into the work of someone else. Someone else has done the hard work. It is now just for you to time to bring in the harvest. What is he talking about? Well, commentators will say that as he's speaking to the disciples, he might be talking about Elijah, the prophets, John the Baptist. He might be talking about the woman. He might be talking about himself. But really what he's talking about and what it would mean to us is when Jesus says, someone else has done the hard work and you enter into the labor, he's talking about himself. Does this not sound like the gospel to you? I sent you to reap what you haven't worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus has done the hard work, lived a life we could not, died a death we deserved, risen from the grave, now seated at the right hand of the Father and to all who call on his name and trust in his righteousness and not their own, they will find salvation. To the one who does not work says the book of Romans, but trust the righteousness of God to the one who does not work. Jesus has done the hard work and we reap the benefits of his labor. So can you see that sharing faith is just the same as receiving faith? It's a work of grace. It is a work of grace. It's the mouse on the elephant's back It's God working through unlikely people. It's God working through the unexpected. It's God working in very small ways. It's God working with seeds, which are tiny things. And through that, we get to see people saved. Because we need to hold this together. On one hand, we need to see that Jesus says, one sows and one reaps. And in fact, that applies to all of us. Whether you feel like you're gifted with the gift of evangelism or not, we're all called to pay our part. And it might be very small, but it is testifying to who God is. Remember the objective truth. But the truth is, because Jesus has died and risen again, that is that message. That message is the power to change the world. Which means when we tell people that, that is incredibly powerful. That is the hard work that we enter into. We enter into the work of Jesus dying and rising again. And so, therefore, it is a work of grace that we share. And we need to hold together the one fact that it is hard. But actually, now is the time of reaping. This is why Jesus says, open your eyes. Because it's not just open your eyes to the challenge, but open your eyes to the possibility that people will meet me. This is the power to change the world. Now is the time of salvation, Jesus says. And this has incredible power. Let me tell you a story. I've met a friend recently, and he said, Tim, I've got a cool story to tell you. I said, great, John, and he did. And he said, I had a great conversation with a guy in an Uber journey. And he said, I'm not normally the kind of person to get chatty in an Uber. I don't know what you're like. I like to go in the back. He said, I had a great chat with this guy. His name was Shaquille. He was kind. He was open. 
he was a Muslim. And my friend said, we talked about faith. We talked about life. We talked about meaning. We had such a big conversation in half an hour. And he talked about Shaquille, this man. He talked about um, his own faith or his struggles with faith. He talked about going to the mosque. He talked about um, longing to encounter God, but just experiencing an emptiness as he uh, engaged in the Muslim religion, Islam. And my friend said, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. And um, I believe that actually he lives in me and um, you can encounter God right now. Would you like me to pray for you? So the guy's driving and he goes, okay. So my friend puts his hand on his shoulder, prays for him. And he said the guy nearly crashed because he was so overcome. He said he was so experiencing the peace of God. So they have to pull over. He shares the gospel with him and that guy gives his life to him there and then. But guess what the guy said during the conversation? He said, you know what? This feels like part two of a conversation I had eight months ago with a trainee vicar. What was his name? He lived down in Clapham. Uh, he had a broken car. Uh, and my friend was like, you don't mean Tim, do you? And he was like, yeah, that's the guy, yeah. <laughs> Guess what we'd had before? We'd had an amazing conversation. I had to get my car MOT'd. And I had to get a journey back. What did we talk about? We talked about life. We talked about faith. We talked about the need for forgiveness. We talked about the father heart of God. How God is not distant. How God is not judgeful. But he is full of mercy and kindness and abundance. And he has come in Jesus Christ. We talked about the Holy Spirit. I was like, yeah, the mosque, I'm sure it's good, but you should try the Holy Spirit. And I prayed for Shaquille after it for a bit because I was like, man, God is so on his case. But guess what? Six months later, eight months later, my friend steps in and reaps the benefit of that conversation. And this is the power, this is the potential of the gospel because we carry a powerful message. And God uses each. God uses the sowing here. He uses the sowing here. He uses a kind word here. He uses a word about Jesus here. And this all builds together. Now, Jesus says, the time for reaping. Now is the time. Um, I wasn't going to do this. Can we just pray for Shaquille? Lord, I just thank you for that man. I thank you for his kindness and his gentleness. And I thank you that he gave his life to you. And I pray that you protect him. And I pray that you protect that word that went into his heart. I pray that his heart would be good soil. That hears your word, receives it and produces a crop a hundredfold. I pray that he'd bring many to salvation. And I pray that he'd get a five star Uber rating. <laughs> Amen. Amen. God uses the unlikely to do the unbelievable. God uses you and me to bring others into the kingdom. As remarkable as that sounds. And God says to us all, open your eyes. Look to the fields. Look to your workplace. Look to your flatmates. Look to your family. Now is the time for the harvest. Now is the time for people to give their lives to me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for your power at work. And I thank you for the story of what you've done. I thank you that you have changed our lives. And for those of us that don't yet know you, God, I pray that um, you just be speaking to them, just showing your love. But God, I pray that you give us such soft hearts. God, I pray that you give us such soft hearts that when we meet people, we just... We just want to share your love. We just want to share the story of what you've done. We just want to share the testimony of what you've done in our lives. And I pray that through this church and through us, God, you'd use us to see so many people brought into the kingdom. Help us believe you, God. Give us the gift of faith to trust you that now is the time of the harvest. 
Now is the time for people to hear and receive you. Amen.